Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. No one can give you permission to become the person you want to become. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Katie Roche. Raised in rural eastern Iowa, Katie has always been an advocate for artists and arts in the community. She honed her arts world skills in New York City in the early 2000s, working for record labels, festivals, and venues like the Knitting Factory. She returned to Iowa in 2006, settling in Iowa City. She served as the first executive director of Summer of the Arts, where she oversaw the annual Iowa Arts and Iowa City Jazz Festivals. A trusted community leader, Katie also helped rebuild the artist-run gallery Public Space One, co-founded the long-running Saturday Night Free movie series, and has advised numerous arts organizations through periods of crisis over the years. Katie and I discuss her journey in the arts, the role of the inner critic, and we dig into how the awful Purdies were able to complete their latest album, The Great Unraveling, collaborating remotely during a time of pandemic. It was an honor to have Katie join the podcast. I really appreciate her insights, passion, and her contribution to the arts. Thanks to Katie for joining me. I hope you enjoy the episode. Katie, thanks so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, could you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Um, I, uh, I'm an Iowa native who, uh, who moved out east of New York City and went to the a school of I'm going to try my hand at working in arts administration as an artist and brought it all back here and have been working uh, working here since the uh, um, early 2000s trying to trying to make Iowa City an awesome place for arts and culture. Awesome and you you wear many different different hats and wear them quite well uh, both as as an artist as a musician and as somebody helping the arts community here. If we go way back, where, where did that start? Early in your life, was, what, what was your first creative love? Wow, I loved everything growing up. I took ballet, which I wasn't very good at. I'm not, I'm not good at, you know, like memorizing movement with my body. Um, so you ever see me on the dance floor, that'll be really apparent. Um, I, I loved poetry and, and, and films and, um, and music, of course, and um, really thought, you know, it would be really, really cool to be able to play like a song on every instrument in the world. And I've kind of, you know, I've gotten there on about 15 of them at this point. So <laughs> I just, I just love the arts. Do you do you have uh, do you have a favorite instrument right now? I think my favorite instrument right now uh, goes back and forth between my Spanish classical guitar and uh, my accordion. Um, I'm just working on lots of songs right now. I've got a lot of time to to think about uh, the kind of music I want to put into the world. So um, comes out in one of those two instruments generally. 
So your journey from Iowa to, to New York, uh, did that, did you, did you just plan on going to New York first or was it for, uh, for music reasons as a, as a jazz singer? Is that what brought you, brought you out there? I'm just kind of curious if you decided to go to New York and then, uh, sing or were you already doing that? And then New York looked like a, a good place to set up shop. Well, I was really interested in um, in performing music and learning everything I could about just being an artist, being a, being a maker of art and music. And so um, I followed a boyfriend out there, had some singing work lined up, and um, really, you know, played all different kinds of music, but really settled into jazz, I think, because it was the clearest pathway for me in terms of kind of being schooled, you know, like how do you how do you put a band together? How do you make it work? Um, and also jazz as like an aerobic exercise for my voice was so challenging and so much fun that I just I, I just got super into it. And what what did you uh, what are some of your takeaways from your time in New York? I think probably my, my biggest takeaway is that um, no one can give you permission to become who you want to become. You kind of just have to, you kind of have to do it yourself. I kept kind of looking around the room as I found myself in, in different uh, levels of, of my career there going, how, do, how, is this, how does this keep happening? Who, like, how, you know, how do people keep trusting me with these things? And, and, and realize that, you know, uh, you know, that, that imposter syndrome, that idea that you're not, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to be there was really coming from within. It wasn't coming from the outside world as much as it was coming from me. And so I started embracing, you know, saying to myself and saying out loud, you know, I may not know everything, but I know enough to do a little damage here, to get something done <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, let myself make mistakes. And I think that's like my big takeaway is like, you know, you, you can give yourself opportunities if you're willing to take some risks. So how, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, and please, please correct me, I'm assuming a little bit like from my mental model too with the imposter syndrome that it's, it's also trying to <laughs> silence the inner critic. Is that, is yeah. that fair? Is it the, the inner critic, like you, uh, maybe you're not good enough or you shouldn't be doing this. How, how, do, you, how do you keep the inner critic at, at bay or uh, ignore them? Because it, it's it's something I'm I'm challenged with personally all the time when I'm working on creative work is is the the inner critic seems to be the harshest for me. Yeah, I think um I think that's a really interesting question because I think it's really incredibly important to be reflective, self-reflective, and and try to figure out you know while you're in the work and after you've done the work whether. Uh, whether you, you know, the way you approached it was, was the right way, what worked about it, what didn't. And so like constructive criticism, self-criticism, like trying to foster that voice. Um, otherwise we've got a lot of, you know, arrogant people out there just, you know, thinking they know everything about what they're trying to do in the world. And, and uh, you know, I really, you know, it, it keeps you humble too, because, you know, I, I, it's almost like the moment I accomplish something, I'm like, okay, well, I do that reflection. I move on. I don't really bask in the glory of the accomplishments very much. Someone had to remind me the other day that I'd finished another album. They're like, didn't you just finish an album? I'm like, I, I 
did. Yeah, no, that's right. They did do that. That's right. You know, yeah, <laughs> we right. have to celebrate our accomplishments it too. <laughs> it is so important to yeah, celebrate those wins and, and stay positive, right? Keep that positive energy. I do appreciate the comment you made too about, uh, you know, kind of otherwise we have too many arrogant people around. And, and I know sometimes <laughs> when I, I look at, at folks, I'm like, God, they just, they just seem so calm with themselves. I, I, I wish I could do that. But uh, yeah, celebrate those wins. Uh, speaking of album, do you mind tell, which, uh, so uh, for, for which musical act was, was this album? So uh, my band Dandelion Stompers is kind of on, uh, on, on hold right now. It's kind of hard to get an eight, nine piece jazz group together right now in pandemic time. Right. Um, and um, so we're trying to figure out how that works. But um, my band Awful Purdies, which um, has been together for, um, I think we're at 14 years now or something like that. Um, we were almost done with our album um, when the pandemic hit. And we managed to finish it having not been in the room together since February. <laughs> so that involved, you know, going into the studio and not seeing each other, being in isolation booth, wearing masks, um, uh, you know, only hearing each other over the headphones, uh, mixing separately, not, not together, um, trying to communicate about music that you weren't listening to at the same time, which is really hard. Um, but we did it. We've got a beautiful 13-song album uh, called The Great Unraveling that should be coming out either later this year or the top of next, we're still trying to figure out um, when during this great unraveling, yeah. we should release the album, The Great Unraveling. You know, <laughs> seems like probably the, well, the timing well, could be right. <laughs> congratulations on, on getting that done. And I, from my perspective, I, I just imagine it'd be, I'm, I'm assuming that previous albums, you were able to, to mix together and you're able to provide each other real time feedback on the process and, it's less abstract when you're you're talking talking about an element and just imagine it, it was a much more difficult getting getting this kind of across the finish line. It was. It did lend itself though to um, making a different kind of album, and actually, it lended itself to making the kind of album that we had hoped to make, which was kind of a surprising upside on the whole thing. Which is, you know, we didn't want to land in a wall of sound we wanted to you know remove more than we added and this just forced forced us in that in that way so it's a, it's a different sounding album for us which again is what we hope for so can you walk me through generally how that song the you know an album being a collection of songs but even even just getting a song created can you walk me through that process well, for every band I've been in, it's been different, but Awful Purdies has been my most consistent project in my life, and it was designed as a collective of songwriters. So it's really about supporting uh, the songwriter in trying to realize uh, what they want the song to be. So usually that person comes to the table with a really strong vision of what that is, maybe even the instrumentation, because we're all multi-instrumentalists. Um, but then, you know, there's this push and pull of, of people's ideas and experimentation. So by the time we get to the studio, we're usually 
pretty well rehearsed. We're usually pretty, you know, pretty well uh, ready to go. Um, and then maybe there's a couple songs where uh, it's less, less known how it's going to, to lay out, you know, it's less mapped out. And, um, and those are the ones that are the big surprise. Those are, those are just so much fun. And um, also prior to us recording this album, we had illness in the band, we had people traveling. So we walked into the studio going, okay, <laughs> here we are, <laughs> let's do this. And um, so yeah, so I don't know that there's like a, a simple answer to that as much as recording has always been for me um, this like high anxiety space where I like, you know, it's like this, you know, the, the metaphor of the duck, like super calm on the surface, and then you're paddling like crazy underneath. <laughs> like that's how I feel in the studio. And so it gives me like this, like intense energy and my vocal takes. And um, sometimes it makes my hand shake a little bit while I'm trying to play the accordion, but it all comes out okay in the end. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. And so and with, uh, like you said, with the dandelion stompers, yeah, I, I, when you have an eight to nine piece, how do you fit them on a stage? We're just dealing with a lot of, a lot of things during this this pandemic shit sandwich that we have on our plates right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what uh, if if you don't mind, both with awful purdies and and dandelion stompers, just how that formation came together because uh, different styles of music. But the Awful Purdies, as you said, that's a collection of songwriters. How did, how did you collaborate or find each other to even say, hey, we should be in a band together? Well, the, um, the band was uh, originally um, the idea of um, Amy Heron, uh, formerly known as Amy Fenders, uh, the Mike and Amy Fenders band, um, and Annie Savage, um, who plays with her band Savage Hearts now. And they they kind of just asked the question, what would it be like to be in an all-female band? Because they, like most female musicians, found that they were either like the only woman in the band or that they'd only ever been in a band with another woman like maybe once or twice in their lives. And so uh, over the years, we have tried to figure out, you know, what a feminist form of governance looks like in the band. Um, it's, it's like actually hard in any situation for everyone to feel heard. And I don't think we're 100, I don't, I know we're not successful at that, but we try to be, <laughs> yeah. which is different than a band having a leader and it being one person's vision and everyone kind of supporting that. Um, that, that like hadn't, flown with me, like didn't fly with me in, in some of the other projects I'd been like in right before um, Awful Purdy. So, uh, but the funny thing is with Dandelion Stompers, that's Chris Clark's band. I'm just the lead vocalist. And for me, it is an exercise in absolute pleasure getting to belt jazz tunes. <laughs> I just get to be a body jazz singer. Yeah. Show up, try to look nice, try not to look like a bum, you know, uh, try to, you know, try to say some funny stuff on stage, you know, make people feel happy. Um, and, and it's just, it's just great. It's just so much fun. And he, you know, he put that band together. Uh, I, I think Chris might just be working his way through the decades because he had a 1910s band before this and now he's got a 1920s band. So I'm hoping he'll let me join him in the 1930s. I like that era quite a bit. So. 
Oh, that that's great. So what what I'm hearing too is the uh, the two different bands let you exercise two different types of performance and and finding joy in different ways and one one from just pure performance and and the other of really really crafting and coming together to craft songs and uh, as an ensemble. Uh, nice synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying my life for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> No, no, no problem. I'll uh, see see what else I can do to you know just reduce everything down to really something really small. No, those are great. I and and so I really like too that um, you know here's here's one thing I can just do and and just embrace the fun of it. Like as 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 you said, as a jazz singer, and that just let you know the space for that to enjoy that. And then what I'm hearing on the Alpha Purdy side is. Uh, the challenge and reward of of collaboration and really working together to bring something new to bear. Because uh, I'm kind of curious with Dandelion Stompers, thinking about 1920 standards, so uh, assuming that they're really all covers, right? They're not original songs, or do you write original songs in that style? We flip a few um songs that sound that we've made sound like 20 songs into that, but really truly it is uh 1920s tunes. Um, that's, that's the goal. Oh, sorry. Don't go. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, socio politically, the material that the twenties is dealing with. Um, I, I mean, I love to, I love to talk about how, um, the things that, that people are talking about in that music. They're talking about prohibition. They're talking about race relations. They're talking about power struggles. You know, it's, it's all, unfortunately, still, you know, very, very relevant. Right. And, um, of course, you know, this, uh, this, this recent uh, civil, very necessary civil unrest in our country as we, as we grapple with inequity in this country um, and racism, you know, I've been... I'm, I'm fortunate to not be performing at this time, so I have some time to think about what are the things that we need to be saying? How, how can I improve the things that I'm saying on stage? Because I have always made an effort to try to recognize the artists that brought this music um, to, the, to the forefront of American music, this American art form, um, recognize the, 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 the black roots, the African roots of this music. Mm -hmm. um, but I need to, I need to, do that uh, in a better way. So I'm envisioning, um, I'm envisioning right now, and it's really in its infancy, but um, a way to do that with a song that the call and response of the audience has to do an acknowledgement of jazz, of this music, of this art form, uh, as, as music that came from Black people, that came from African roots. And I'm really excited <laughs> to try to figure out how that might work. Uh, I want the audience to, to be in on it. That's, that's great. Hopefully, hopefully the pandemic moves along quickly so we can, we can get back to live performances and, and hear the call and response. What are you missing most about uh, the, the lack of performance opportunities right now? Well, you know, in my professional life as, the development director for the Englert Theater, I'm in touch with like the larger industry um, of, of the performing arts. And it is absolutely on hold right now, uh, nationally and 
in, in some cases internationally. And, um, you know, I really, <laughs> I miss the energy of bringing community together of, of, of people having the emotional, physical response of, of, of watching a live show. Um, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so strange to not have the thing that's been central to how I live my life uh, there. This would have been my, this would have been my 25th summer in a row of, of performing professionally. And so like, that felt significant to me, whether I, you know, said that to anyone this summer, that felt significant to me. And then in my professional life, you know, the Uber was going to be under construction. And then this fall, we were going to reopen our doors and welcome the public back and everyone's going to be able to see how, you know, all the money and, and time that had been donated had made this place even more beautiful. And, and uh, now we're like, we don't know when we can open our doors. It's right. like, the climax just we don't know when. Yeah. <laughs> speaking speaking of the Englert, uh, with with all the remodeling and reconstruction now, just uh, as as somebody who loves the Englert Theater, uh, I'm curious: are are you able to go inside and see the work in progress? We are limiting our own staff going into the building. I mean. Um, Earlier this week, there was only a partial floor um, in the second floor gallery area. So I don't think anybody's, you know, <laughs> running in and out to you know, yeah. grab some paper, some reams of paper or anything. So there's that. And then we're also, you know, trying to be respectful of the construction company's social distancing that they've established to work on the building to keep their workers separate from each other. So it's, you know, I wouldn't have been there physically to see it anyway, but the fact that I can't be there <laughs> right, right. <laughs> hurts just a little, but I get to see the pictures like everybody else. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I feel like it's, you know, for in some ways it's almost like uh, like a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. <laughs> it's like, but at least you know, on a particular day you can open it. But right now we don't know what date the community gets to open this present, right? Yeah, for some reason, as you said that, I had that scene in um, Castaway where Tom Hanks is like delivering the box at the end, but he's like been on, like we're all on the desert island right now with the box that we can't open. And there's this like weird drawing of like a wing of wings. And we're like, what is this? You know, like what is, what? that's where we are. Like that's our whole, that's the anticipation. We're all waiting find out what it's going to be like when right. you go back to life as we knew it and hopefully it's better. <laughs> thinking about songwriting for you or creation and, and you're talking about, you know, some new call and response type of thing you might want to work on. I'm curious for you, do you ever feel stuck creatively? And then if so, how do you get unstuck when you're working on a creative project? <sighs> hmm. I, yes, I absolutely get stuck. In fact, I've got a song on this new Awful Pretties album called Why Would I Be Small that I started writing 14 years ago. And I really had the title and maybe like the first two lines of it. And I, for me, being stuck is about figuring out what I'm trying to say um, and also like breaking um motif that I might use in order or in order to write something. So I, 
I might write a whole song, like, just like with two chords, just so I can get the poetry out, just so I can, you know, or I might overwrite something and write, like, you know, 40 lyrics to it and try to decipher if there's anything good in there. You know, it's, I, w- I don't have, like, a way that I do things, you know, I think I, I, I dream of being the kind of person that sits down and says, every day for 45 minutes, I'm trying to work on my craft. That's not me. <laughs> so, so it's more like when ideas grab you and then you try to try to capture that rather than, than dedicated work time? I try to make dedicated work time, but I am often struck by a song. Like something comes into me and I have to, as nicely as possible, shush my children, or, you know, please, please do something with yourself. I don't want to lose this idea. Yes, yes, yep. here's a sandwich, you know, and try to, <laughs> try to like get it, get it out. I have a, um, a recording that we used as a bass track for a song that made it onto the album where you can actually hear me, you know, say, saying, you know, I'll be there in a minute, honey. And just like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like naming the chords and I'm, and I'm trying to spit out the lyrics and, for the most part, that thing, like one of two things happened for me. Either that thing comes to me almost fully formed, and I may not even know what it's about until I sat with it for a while, or I got a little tidbit and I'm trying to figure out what it is about. <laughs> Interesting. Which yeah, is I, easier. <laughs> I when when you said you know like uh, try not to lose something. And I might be misremembering the story, but I, I thought I had seen an interview with with The Edge from U2 and there was a, uh, a guitar riff and I can't even remember what, what song it ended up on, but it ends up on an album. But he said it was like the uh, postal delivery service had knocked on the door right while he was coming up with it. So he actually answered the door like with his guitar and he wouldn't stop playing it so that he wouldn't, he wouldn't lose it or forget it. So like as quickly as possible, sign for the package, put it down and then just kept playing but it to me it was like it's almost like when you wake from a dream it's like if i don't work to capture this i'm gonna lose it it's just you have just a little piece of it and i thought that was interesting just not wanting not wanting to lose it so still wondered why you actually went to answer the door though (laughs) yeah like just ignore the postal service you know uh i used to um i'm remembering that i used to like on my like razor flip phone or whatever my my phone my my phone back in the day in in new york i would call my own voicemail and sing songs into it i wish i had those recordings now i have you know some app on my smartphone that um i have i think i have like 450 song fragments on my phone it's almost pointless when there's that many but sometimes when i'm stuck you know i'll go in there and i'll laugh at a bunch of really bad ideas and then i'll find something that that i'm like oh that's actually interesting (laughs) that's great yeah uh, the the calling in i know uh, a singer songwriter friend of mine uh from my time in minneapolis I remember sometimes he would he would call his own voicemail or you know even even before it was like electronic voicemail just the uh, answering machine and you know so he, sometimes it was like he'd have a lyric idea so he might just you know uh, put that in but sometimes it would be a melody so he'd like like hum the melody and then so that he wouldn't he so that he could get home and try it on guitar when he when he got back from work. 
Yeah. Um, we have to do what we have to do. Some of the themes on the podcast that we dig into uh, you know, are collaboration, creativity, and persistence. And so I, I, see, I see so many of those themes with the awful purdies right now. Um, and just with, for me, the persistence of all that you're doing in, in kind of as you were at the last, kind of last stage of the album, what you had to do to, to switch it up. And also just being, being in a collaborative uh, ensemble for, for 14 years. Any tips or advice for, for other musicians to have a, a, a long-lasting a partnership? Yeah, I um well I think you know trying to keep a trying to keep a, a consistent schedule of getting together so that you feel like you're building on something um, is pretty important. And um, one of the one of the cool things about writing grants and people are probably like there's nothing cool about writing grants they're <laughs> awful and terrible and why would you ever say something so ridiculous but one of the coolest things about writing grants and one of the cool things that happened to awful purdies is being involved in different artists grants and having to define who we were like who are you you know it's not just like you know we're a band and these are instruments we play like what are you about what are you trying to do and you know I remember at one point I said, we're, we're a band that tells women's stories. And then we had to talk about that and say, is that true? Is that really what we do? You know? And, and then, you know, we had to, we had to sort of figure out, you know, okay, well maybe we are actually really good at teaching about how to write songs, you know, artists, uh, whatever their art form is, Generally, that artist is pretty darn good at explaining their process and how they, you know, how they put it together and, and why they made different choices and, and, and uh, how experimentation informs their, their, their work. And so, um, you know, we discovered over the years that we were actually interested in teaching about folk music and, um, and songwriting and collaborative songwriting. How do you work with other people? So we worked with an the like 70 person folk choir to write, I think it ended up being like 14 songs or something called Family Folk Machine. And I mean, the idea of taking 70 people and figuring out even how to divide them into groups to write songs in different subjects. Right. You know, our cellist brilliantly came up with this plan that worked. <laughs> and we did it. And it was, and the songs were, were wonderful. And people contributed and could see their mark in the music and it's just so rewarding, you know? So I don't you know, figure out, figure out what your talents are, where, where you want to have a voice. I mean, maybe you just want to play gigs. Maybe you don't want to be, you know, a community minded band, but you should probably know either way, <laughs> which one right. you want to do. Uh, question for you too, with, you know, as you, you had mentioned the, the awful purdies and, you know, the first time that you, for all of you being in an all women band and from a feminist perspective, so just honest inquiry here, because as a, as a white guy, I, I'm afraid anything I'll, I'll say would be like mansplaining, but I, I feel like it's, it's an important thing that you're doing, but can you, can you tell me why it's so important well, I think it's important because there is, um, 
there's just not as many women's voices represented in music. There's not as a, there's not as many women's stories represented in music. And um, you know the, the the music factory that you know spits out artists you know for for commercial con, you know music consumption has a pretty narrow limited scope you know of like who's gonna who's gonna make it out the other side. So you know. For moms and a and a grandmother, you know, uh, who you know all work jobs in addition to being folk musicians, you know, we're not your standard fare. And we, I think it's also like part of our story too is that like we're not maybe interested in being your favorite band. This is, I mean, it's great if you like us. That's awesome if you like us. But we've always been a little bit more interested in just making what we want to make. And I think that comes across in um, the variety of, of voices, um, of, of storytelling, and, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of what folk music is about, right? It's not about having the prettiest voice or, like, you know, um, the most polished performance. So I, I think we've gotten more polished over the years. It's, it's about, you know, telling stories and telling them well, and that's what we've been working on. As, as a group of women who try to support each other. That's no, that that's great because I was uh, just also thinking about you know my music influences growing up, and uh, obviously no no shortage of seeing you know males on record covers right or in bands and you know at at some level um, not not that I'm a musician but you know it's like you wouldn't have a problem seeing oh I could do that and I'm just curious too like you said there. They, women's voices being underrepresented so just i i see that as as being so important and then i i gotta say i really appreciate in in some ways it's a bonus if you like us but that's not why we're doing this uh (laughs) and i it reminds me and uh there was a one way way back when i was reading some stuff about edward hopper and he had a quote about his artwork that it was like it was presented as if uh, his only inspiration has been himself. And uh, when I saw that, it sounded really mm-hmm. arrogant. But then I saw an extended version where that sentence was pulled, and it was it seemed to imply more that this inspiration is these are stories in him that he's been trying to get out, right? And he's trying to do it through art. So it's always been him in that he's trying to get it out, but not in an not in an arrogant way that he's not inspired by other things, but I just, I find that interesting too, with, you know, the power of, for me, the power of folk music is powerful stories being told and, and, and both for the, the songwriter, but also for the, the fan or the listener is sometimes able to access emotions that maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a venue for, right. That you, you hear it and then you can tap into something you might be feeling and then not feel so alone or feel connected, uplifted. Uh, so I just, I, I love what love what you're doing. And I also just love the attitude as well. Thank you. Um, you know, I, uh, I actually listened to, I don't know, like how new of a track it was, but it seemed to be a pretty new track of Billie Eilish today. I yeah. like to see what new releases have come out. And the new song is like, like, yeah, I am, like announcing to the world that I'm falling in love with myself and I'm trying to figure out how to do that. 
and I, and I feel like artistry in some way is like you, you don't have to love what you find when you, when you start working with yourself on making something, but you enter into this agreement with yourself that you're going to go deep and you're going to try to, you're going to try to find something that is worth sharing with people and, um, you know, and I think like, you know, anybody who consumes a lot of music, um, you know, the stuff that isn't very introspective, you know, thinks of it that it's not very introspective. And 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 you might like totally like love it for that reason. And I've got lots of stuff that I that I love for that reason. But I, but I sort of surprised myself ten years ago when I realized I love folk music. I love folk Americana. Um, and for me that's a direct trajectory into world music then because, you know, all folk music, American folk music is, is kind of an American expression. And then you, you get into these other cultures and you see their expressions and it's just amazing. So do you, as, as a kid, do you remember what, what musical artists really stood out for you uh, as far as um, really making some, some early deep connections into music? We always had NPR on, just like always. And so like, um, for me, if you were a person with a guitar, like an acoustic guitar, and you were telling a story with your music, I was like, tell me more. Tell me everything <laughs> you have to say. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Greg Brown made a huge impression on me. Um, uh, man. Richie Havens, I think, is like um, as a as a as a virtuoso. You know, he's got these like giant hands, and he just like wraps them around the guitar and beats on it, and has this like you know beautiful, loud, commanding voice. And um, Richie Havens, Havens has probably been one of my favorites since the moment I heard him. Um, yeah, yeah, and then. For, um, I mean, I wish I could tell you some female musicians that influenced me as a young woman, but um, I was just surrounded by like a lot of like, you know, like Debbie Gibson and, you know, pop, like <laughs> pop, pop music that really didn't, you know, do much for me or, or stick with me. There wasn't a lot of female musicians that I was ever, you know, pushed into my universe. So um, I, you know, I've, I've um, sort of been involved behind the scenes with Girls Rock, Iowa City, and um, love the work that they're doing to um, empower young women and non-binary um, musicians around finding their voice and making some, making some loud, making some music, and taking up some space. Right on. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> No, and for for me too, as a as a kid, you know, just thinking of it, like it, I was one of the things I was really lucky with. My my dad had a really big record collection, um, and we we joked in hindsight, maybe he was a hipster, uh, but clearly he wasn't. He, he, he admittedly he was he was nerdy as a as a kid, and but he had so many great albums. And uh, when I was really little, uh, probably younger than I should have been, but it probably kept, <laughs> kept me out of everybody's hair. He showed me how the stereo works, how the headphones plug in and just going through his vinyl collection. And some of it was really old country. Uh, some of it was more kind of outlaw country like Johnny Cash, but then also lots of like British invasion. 
And he also had a lot of 60, like 50s into 60s uh, folk uh, records. So I remember like just, you know, putting all these different styles on. And at the time when you're, you're too little, right? You don't, you don't think about genres or like, you know, when I got it, you know, middle school or high school, you get really defensive, maybe at what style of music you like or don't like. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was just, yeah, some, some of those that stood out, just the, the pure joy of a little kid about like this, like you said, these stories, just hearing these, these stories from people uh, accompanied with music was such, such a good feeling. And, and in many ways, I wish I could, could capture that uh, again. Uh, but, it, you know, it's not the same when you're streaming it, you know, off of, uh, digitally. But I, I, there, it doesn't seem to be the time to just lay in the living room with the headphones on, listening to the record player. I, I have similar memories, except I'm laying on uh, brown shag carpeting uh, with big headphones on, listening to, listening to some records, and also listening to some CDs that my sister brought home from college. And being like, what is this new order? Who are these, you know, you know, who is this Gordon Gano character? You know, and just <laughs> yeah. like, you know, life-changing um, moments. I mean, I, you know, I, like I, I talked about how I love, you know, folk and folk Americana music, but I mean, I truly just love music. I think Udi, the Nigerian Afrobeat artist, is probably like my favorite musician of all time. And, um, you know, super political Nigerian uh, musician, and he's just like taking down the government, like in every song, you know, <laughs> just, and like you can't stop shaking your butt, you know, like <laughs> I, I, I totally, totally just love exploring music and, um, and uh, discovering new things, which so, is a good fit for what I do professionally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, question for you or, or more general topic area is the notion of advice. One of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast uh, and this I'm, I'm stealing from Austin Cleon steal like an artist where he says, when you give advice, you're usually talking to your younger self, but I'm, I'm curious if, if, is there advice you received that like good advice that you've kind of still unpack and use today or is there is there advice you know that you could give that something you wished you would have learned earlier in your journey? Yeah, I have like so many thoughts on that, but I think one of the the things that um, you know I've had the advantage of uh, you know working at home here, and my husband's working at home, and he he's um he's often in these Zoom calls with students. He works for Co College. And I'll overhear the advice he's giving. And one of the things that um, really struck me when I heard him kind of say, say this over and over again to students that I wish someone had said to me is to notice, to try to make it a practice of noticing what you get excited about. Because sometimes it's not what you're putting your time into. And that because you're talking to a lot of college freshmen who, you know, they're getting pressure from one direction or another. and They may have an idea of themselves that actually isn't the, the direction that they may end up wanting to go in. And so I'm doing that with myself all the time now, like for these last couple months. Going, where, you know, what do you get excited about putting your time into? You know, when are you just like really in your groove? And 
that, if you can get in the practice of noticing that, even just aspects of the work that you're doing, I think you start getting to the, 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 the crux of it. Yeah, thank, that's, uh, that's, that's great. You, one of the ways I'm thinking about that, too, is it just, like you said, the reflection and just starting to be a little bit more intentional. So, yeah, noticing mm-hmm. those things. And, and I feel like if you're doing that, you might gather a greater sense of agency rather than, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like maybe I'm doing this because I'm supposed to. Or, you know, and if, and if you can, shape and direct your life towards, towards things that, that give you positive energy. Yeah, and there's, there's so much anxiety and, and noise right now that, um, you know, I've been trying to be really intentional when I sit down to do something lately and just say, this is what I'm doing for the next 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And the point of what I'm doing is this. This is why I'm doing it. This is what it, this is what it is in, in service of. And it's, you know, when I remember to do that, when I quiet myself and direct myself in that way, uh, I can, I, I can accomplish more, which is, which is a nice, you know, uh, upside to that. But I also am not feeling as conflicted as I'm doing that work because I, I personally have this, you know, overarching obligation to feel like I, I know what's going on, what's the latest news, what's the latest development, you know, um, how, how are we navigating through this crisis? And it's like, you actually have to tap into your work in a much more deliberate way right now. Yeah, thank, I, that's, that's great. Were there any topics we didn't cover today that you were thinking maybe when you were jumping on the podcast that you'd want to talk about? You know, I'd love to, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, the capital campaign because it is, uh, we're rounding the corner towards the end there. Yes. Yeah, that'd be great. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, so uh, um, a number of years ago, um, I, my um, executive director, Andre Perry, and I uh, sat down and said, you know, we have to do this capital campaign for the Angler. It has all these needs. And in the, you know, true collaborative community-minded spirit that we're, we're trying to foster and we're trying to invite everyone to the table, you know, we said, well, you know, well, what if we set off to fundraise and there's somebody else who we're really aligned with and they want to fundraise too. We wouldn't want to be in competition with each other. That would be ridiculous. So um, in that exploration, we had a lot of great conversations with um, our fellow downtown Iowa City art organizations and found that there was one organization that was also needing to set off for a capital campaign. And that was film scene. So, you know, Flash forward, we've built film scenes, new location. Um, uh, we've, you know, we've invested in their their original space. We're investing in the Ingler. We've, um, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of this campaign, and one of the coolest things that has come out of it. I mean, we've got these brick and mortar things, these, these beautiful facilities, right? But one of the coolest things that has come out that has come out of it is that a year before any of this chaos ensued with the pandemic. As part of the campaign, we had convened uh, a bunch of the downtown arts organizations to start talking about what we have in common uh, in terms of our goals, um, ways that we might better be able to collaborate. And so since, since then, we formed the um, Iowa City Downtown Arts Alliance. And 
we're still figuring out who we are and what we want to do, but we're not, we're not doing it alone in this really challenging period of time. And the generosity of spirit of, of, and, and, and in material ways that everyone is stepping up in support of each other is just totally inspiring and um, highly recommend it for people that feel like they're working in a vacuum. <laughs> you know, uh, if you got a hunch that you might be able to do it better if you're in closer communication with your peers, go for it. So it's how going to be great. How can people get involved or find out more? Well, uh, the, the, camp, the capital campaign is called Strength and Grow Evolve. And um, we've got a, you know, strengthandgrowevolve.org, and you can find out about all of our, um, all of our goals of that campaign. And then the, the more overarching vision is building the greatest small city for the arts. That's really about strengthen, strengthening the, the arts infrastructure of our community, of these organizations that are on the ground doing arts education, programming, um, uh, that are trying to bring just regular citizens into artistic practice. And um, we have this incredible opportunity right now to, to really try to envision what we want that future to be. It's unfortunately under duress. So I think the easiest thing I can say for people to be involved, think about that ticket you might have bought to Riverside Theater or uh, you know, that, that piece of artwork you might have bought if you went to a gallery show at Public Space One, that movie ticket you might have bought at concert, and just turn that into a donation. Where, whoever's listening to this, wherever you are in the state, yes. in the country, turn that, that, that I'm missing out on that arts and cultural experience into a donation. Support your local arts organization that you love. Um, five bucks, a thousand bucks, whatever it is. <laughs> um, you know, I, it, it's, it, it'll make a big difference right now. Right. Thank you. Yeah. I, I wish I could remember where I'd seen this, but I was just talking to somebody again about in the time of pandemic, how, how much everybody turns to the arts for a reprieve for joy, for connection. And, you know, so while we're doing this, it's like, I think it's so important to remember that we got to, we got to sustain the art if we, if we want the arts, right. So how do we, you know, cultivate that? So I appreciate that that tip and recommendation for folks to to think about what they might have done and contribute that. Well, it's that thing again, right? Like, how do we how do we spend our time? When does it turn us on? You know, if I'm just washing my dishes, I'm just washing my dishes. If I'm washing <laughs> my dishes and I'm listening to Fela, it's a party. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> my life has improved drastically. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's what I, I joked with my, my uh, wife and kids that, you know, we, we bought uh, Alexa, you know, a couple years ago and it was like supposed to be this fancy smart home type of thing. And really all it is, is an egg timer and a soundtrack for a kitchen cleanup. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. I would say my my uh, the speaker that we have in our kitchen is also my um, I, like it's my moment where I just like I tune in the news, I get you know I get my okay I'm I'm involved and then it's also an egg timer and it's also right. a soundtrack for washing the dishes. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> oh, Katie, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm uh, congratulations on the album. We'll uh, look forward to, to its release and uh, probably more importantly, really looking forward to seeing you live when 
when kind of conditions permit. Oh, I'm looking forward to the day when everybody gets to go to a show again. That'll be a good one. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care.